Did you bring your Bible this morning? Go with me, please, to Isaiah 61. Isaiah chapter 61, if you have a Bible. If not, you may look on in your, uh, on your digital device there or read it on the screen with us. We've been discussing uh, preaching from the subject of expecting. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things that we are expecting, things that we hope for. And this morning, I believe God wants to speak to the inner man of our heart uh, from his word. What did Jesus come to earth to do? What is Christmas all about? Was it just a joyride of the divine nature coming to check things out? No. The cross of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of Christ, the virgin birth, are the result of man's sin and man's inability to save himself. Because of sin, Christ had to come. And so we find here in the book of Isaiah words that describe his ministry and the gifts that God would bring through him to us. Often scholars call the book of Isaiah the gospel according to Isaiah because the prophet Isaiah, more than any other, and with reference more times than any other prophet, refers to Jesus Christ, uh, the Messiah, and he writes here concerning Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn. And to grant to those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting. So they will be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Father, I thank you for your word, which is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And is able to divide between the soul and the spirit as between the bone and the marrow. As we come to your word this morning, I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation. That they might receive the word with gladness in their hearts. Let not one single soul leave this place this morning without having had an encounter with the almighty God. I ask that in Jesus name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The Bible teaches us that man was made with two basic parts. There is that part of man which is physical. That's the part we all tend to focus on the most and give the most attention to. Uh, the physical was made out of the dust of the earth. God fashioned man in his own image, and he, he formed him out of the dust of the earth, and he made the physical part of man. But while man was made and he was physical, he was nothing. He was, uh, he was just elements. He was just a material substance until the Bible said that God breathed breath into man's nostrils, and he became a living soul. 
Now man not only has a physical nature, but he also has a spiritual nature. Every person in this room this morning, without a single exception, is both spiritual and physical. When you get hungry, that's your physical man talking. When you get sleepy and tired, that's your physical man talking. Uh, you and I, as I mentioned, we spend a lot of time on the physical man. The outer man gets all the attention in front of the mirror. And most of us don't leave home without looking at a mirror. I think most of you this morning look so wonderful. I know you spent a little bit of time in front of a mirror, probably not a whole lot of time because you've got just natural beauty and it just emerges. But that's the natural man. But there is another part of you which is spiritual. And the spiritual part of you is actually more important than the physical. Because the Bible teaches us that the spiritual part of man is going to live forever. You and I are going to live forever somewhere, friend. You are either going to live forever in the presence of God or live forever in the presence of an eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But there's going to be a place for the spirit of man to dwell forever. The Apostle Paul speaks of the human body like a tent that you fold up and put away. And he says, soon uh, this tent, this mortal body is going to be folded up and put away and the spiritual side of us is going to live on forever. The fact is, friends, that although we can discuss and we have discussed many things concerning God's provision and, and the miracle working power of God and the fact that God heals the sick and He makes provision for our finances and that God meets our needs, there is a part of us that is in more a greater in a greater need than the physical needs of our life there is a spiritual being on the inside of us the bible calls him the inner man and jesus came primarily to deal with the inner man jesus came to deal with your spirit surely he came to heal broken bodies he came to provide a provision for those who were in, in need or in lack. He came to supply those things that are necessary for our physical man. But he came primarily to deal with the needs of your inner man. He came to deal with the spirit. Because the Bible makes it clear that a man's spirit rules him. A man's spirit governs him. You see, you can have a lot of money in the bank. But if your spirit is unhappy, it doesn't matter about the money. You can have a lot of friends, but if your spirit is unhappy, there, it doesn't matter how many people come around you. I have known people who were in a crowd full of folks and yet were alone and discouraged and depressed. Because they had a physical connection, but they did not have a spiritual fulfillment from God. You can eat all the food that you want and find that although your outer man is, is satisfied, your inner man hasn't received a thing yet. There aren't enough tacos in all the world to satisfy the hunger of the spirit of man. The inner man longs for more and, and often the problems we get into is because our inner man tries to feed itself through the outer man. The outer man uh, drinks uh, uh, of alcohol and drugs trying to satisfy the inner man. But you see, you don't, there's not enough alcohol in the world to get your spirit drunk. 
You can get your body drunk, but you can't get your spirit drunk. You can eat all the food in the world and, and you can have all of the sex in the world and it cannot satisfy the spirit of man. Only God can do that. You see, so many of us, we live in a, in a constant state of trying to satisfy and please this outer nature. But the fact is, friend, that if you will get your inner man right with God, the outer man will take care of itself. If you can get to that place where your inner man is right and at peace with God. The ministry of Jesus was precisely to do that. He came, the Bible said, to preach good news to the poor. He's talking about the poor in spirit. He came to bring the recovery of sight to the blind and to repair or to restore the brokenhearted and to set at liberty those who are captive and to give freedom to prisoners. He came to deal with the outer aspect of man's life. Often when Jesus performed a miracle, he said two things. He, he commanded the healing, and that was the physical part. And then he said, go and sin no more. He's addressing the spirit of man. You see, many of you find yourself discouraged this morning because you have tried a lot of things and not been able to satisfy the inner craving of the soul. There is a water that flows that the physical man cannot taste of, but the spirit of man can be satisfied with. There is an oil that comes from the throne room of the living God that the physical man cannot see or touch, but which once it touches the soul brings restoration and life. I'm talking today about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That intangible spiritual quality that Jesus said he would pour out on all of those who believed. John the Baptist said it like this. He said, surely I baptize you with water. That's the physical stuff. But there is one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's talking about the inner man. He's talking about the spirit of man. Here's what we see in this passage. The scripture tells us that the ministry of Jesus would be, first of all, to comfort those who mourn in Zion. Now, maybe you and I, uh, we don't use the word Zion very often, but the word Zion, it actually uh, was a nickname that was given to the Temple Mount. It was given to the place where God dwelled. And the city of Jerusalem as well is called Zion. So in the Old Testament, Zion is an Old Testament picture of the place where God dwells. It is a place where God is abiding. The, the uh, Ark of the Covenant and the holy place were the very centerpiece of Mount Zion. And at that place, God dwelled. And so for the Jews to dwell in Zion meant to dwell within the presence and the will of God. To dwell in Zion means that you are right at the center of where God wants you to be, right at the place of God's perfect will for your life. How many of you would like to dwell in Zion? That, that, that was okay, but I think you have a better answer for me. How many of you would like to dwell in Zion? I mean to dwell in the perfect will of God. But here's the problem I have with the text. The text says that he came to comfort those who mourn in Zion. 
But I, I thought that if we were in, in the presence of God and if we were in the will of God, that we were going to be happy. That there wouldn't be any problems, any tears, no mourning, that there would be no sorrows. But you see, the scripture tells us that even in Zion, there are afflictions. Even in Zion, there are moments of mourning and moments of discouragement. I've come this morning to speak to somebody who has come into a place of wondering about God. You have lived your life in holiness. You have tried to do right. You have been a just man or woman. You have accomplished all that God instructed for you to accomplish. And yet, you find yourself at time mourning in Zion. You find yourself mourning perhaps over your past failures which have come back steadily to haunt you. Things from yesterday, things that you did a long time ago, but they seem to keep coming back and reminding you of the shame of your past. Maybe you mourn in Zion today because of the weakness of your own nature. You promised yourself you'd never do it again. I'll never go back to that, you said. And then you find yourself back there again. And you're mourning in Zion this morning because you feel the failure of your weakness and the need for God. Maybe you're, worn, you're mourning in Zion because your circumstances don't match up with what you expected. And the things that you have had to endure have been hard and laborious. You have found yourself at times trying to find just one way to get through the day. And perhaps although you have done the will of God, you find that the scripture is true when it says that many are the afflictions of the righteous. You see, you can be in Zion and lose your job. Anybody ever lost a job in Zion? It's easy when you lose your job because you were out of the will of God and, and you, were, you were playing the fool. But when you have done the right things and you mourn in Zion, it, 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 at times uh, you can be in Zion and be fighting for your kids. You can be in Zion and lose your health. Sometimes you can be in Zion and, and be struggling for your marriage. You may be in Zion and, and you're, you're godly and you're good and you're prayerful and you're fasting and you're a saint. But you are mourning in Zion and you find that, that afflictions have found you and that you have had to wait a long time for things to come through. And you may, maybe look around and you see that others seem to have it better and others seem to have it well. And you are struggling to just stay afloat. But I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus came to comfort those who mourn in Zion. He came to comfort you this morning, to put his arm around you and those who are mourning over their sin. He says to you, I am the God who is able to forgive you of your sin. He is the friend for sinners. He is the one who is able to wash away the tears of yesterday and give you a new hope and a new future and an aspect toward tomorrow. He stands ready to comfort those who mourn in Zion. You see, they mourned in Zion because of the sins of Israel. They mourned in Zion because of the tragedies of their rejection of God and their idolatry. But the Bible says... And when Jesus came to the earth, he came with that very specific purpose. 
Scripture tells us that on the eighth day, after Jesus had been born in Bethlehem, and after the days of purification for Mary, that he was taken to the temple at Jerusalem, as it was the custom for the firstborn to be taken, because the firstborn of any family was holy unto God. And so they took Jesus to that place where, where he was going to be dedicated. And when they brought him into the temple courts, there was an aged man there named Simeon who had been waiting a long time for the comfort and consolation of Israel. Can I tell you this morning that it's going to be worth the wait? I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know what you've been going through, but it's going to be worth the wait. When you wait on God, your time is never wasted. Come on, somebody. you got to know this morning that God will not waste your tears and God will not waste your waiting. He is at work. Even while you wait, turn around and tell somebody it's going to be worth the wait. Simeon waited because God told him he wouldn't die until the consolation of Israel had come. I don't know how old he was when God told him that. Let's assume he was in his 40s. And then in his 50s. And then in his 60s. Perhaps on into his 70s. Still waiting. How long will you wait? In college they say they have a 15 minute rule. If the professor doesn't come in 15 minutes you have the freedom to leave. How long? Will you wait? Will you give God more than 15 minutes? Will you wait on God until he answers? I said it's going to be worth the wait. You see, there were 500 people that saw Jesus ascend, but only 120 waited 10 days until the promise of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's going to be worth the wait. I know some of you have been waiting a long time, but God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. What God has spoken, God will do. He's come to mourn, or he's come to comfort those who mourn in Zion. When Simeon saw him, he saw Jesus, a baby, no different than any other baby, but completely different from every other baby. For this baby was the son of the living God. He was the second person of the divine Godhead in human form. He had come down out of heaven and had been, and had been conceived in the womb of a virgin named Mary. And now he had been born. And the very voice that created the heavens and the earth was now crying out with the cry of a child. The very hands that had formed the earth and laid it upon its axis are now reaching out to Mary and to Joseph from a cradle. This was the son of the living God. But when you saw him, you saw a baby. Can I tell you friends that sometimes God shows up in an unexpected package. You might have expected him to show up a certain way, but don't lose your opportunity. When God shows up, you need to discern that it's God. Simeon saw this baby and he cried out to God and he said, the consolation of Israel 
has arrived. He knew that this was the comforter, that this was the one that Israel had been waiting for. I'm here to tell you this morning, church, that Jesus is still the comforter of the afflicted, that he is still the hope of the world, that he is still the joy for the hurting heart. He says he comes to give a garland instead of ashes. You all know what ashes are. Ashes are what are left after a fire. You ever been through a fire? A fire is devastating and the ashes are what's left. When the smoldering rubble has cooled. And the memories have been burned away. He said he came to give a garland instead of ashes. Ashes for, for you and I this morning represent the things that we have lost in this life. I remember uh, several years ago my brother and sister-in-law started a business. It was a barbecue restaurant and it was good. Good food. Best beef ribs I ever had. And, and several of us in the family, we, we helped along the way as we could. I, I laid some of the tile in that, in that place. I don't know if it's still there now, but I laid some of the tile. You say, Pastor, you lay tile? I do. I lay good tile. And then it was done, and we, we dedicated it. We, we asked God's blessing on them and on the business venture. And then one night, I recall hearing the phone ring and the answer of the voice on the other line saying that the restaurant was burning down. We gathered as a family on the parking lot of that restaurant and saw that that dream was going up in smoke. Have you ever seen your dreams go up in smoke? As though the thing that you had desired and invested in has just gone away so quickly as it was, as it was uh, able to burn up. And so I recall that the tears of that night and the anguish of loss. I, I wasn't personally involved in the loss. I had not made the investment of my money, but just knowing that my brother and my sister-in-law were going through that loss, I recall the voices of the, of the kids as they commented upon the things that were happening that night. And I tell you today, perhaps some of you have gone through a house fire. Maybe you have experienced some losses in your life. You have seen that the, the things that you built up have come down to ruin. You have tried uh, with all of your might to save them, but you could not prevent the fire that destroyed and brought to ashes the things that you hoped for. Maybe you didn't lose a business, but you lost a marriage or you lost a child or maybe you lost some money or an opportunity maybe you have lost your health or maybe you have lost your your strength can I tell you friend that Jesus has come to give you a garland instead of ashes he has come to flip things around in your life and to give you the joy that only he can give let me tell you this this morning for all of the losses, you have not lost anything from the last season that you did that you needed in this season. I need to say that again. You didn't lose anything in the last season that you need in this season. 
See, sometimes we get so discouraged about what we lost. When God is trying to tell you, if you needed it, you wouldn't have lost it. What you lost, you didn't need. I've got you covered. Come on, somebody. God says, I've got you covered. You may have lost that thing and it might have hurt and you might have prayed long prayers but it is ashes now. God has something coming up out of the ashes. He's got a glorious future for you. I'm excited about that this morning. He gives you beauty instead of ashes. Why, why is that a comparison? Well, you know, in the Old Testament when they were when they were in mourning, they would take ashes and pour them on their heads. Aren't you glad we don't live in the Old Testament? You can imagine the soot of ashes covering the face. Streaks of tears coming down the face. He says, I'm going to wash your face clean. I'm going to get that ash out of your hair. And I'm going to give you beauty instead of ashes. I'm going to make that thing that was ugly in your life so that when you look at it, you'll say, God, be praised for the good things that he has done. Look how God has worked on my behalf. Come on, somebody. God is able to give you a turnaround in your life. And that thing you cried about, someday you're going to laugh about. That thing that you thought you couldn't live without, you're going to realize, hey, I didn't need him. He walked out of my life, but I didn't need him. She walked out of my life, but I didn't need that. They took that job from me, but I didn't need the job. Why? Because my inner man is in communion with God. And my inner man is in relationship with the Almighty. Beauty. Instead of ashes, I remember as a child reading in the newspaper, in Kennedy, a house fire had occurred. The entire house was burned to the ground. And the article in the newspaper said there was one thing in the house that didn't burn to the ground. The family Bible. I don't know how that happened. I think it was just a, a divine work of God. God was letting that family know. You may have lost everything, but you haven't lost me. You haven't lost my, my word. You haven't lost my promises. Can I tell you this morning that God's word will endure the storm of your life. The promises of God will survive the storm of your life. Come on, get a grip on God's word this morning. God has spoken. God's word will survive. And whatever, whatever you may have lost, his word is able to bring back double into your life. The Bible said that Job sat in the ashes. I imagine Job sat in the ashes of the house where his sons and daughters had been killed. Job must have sat in the ashes of his, of his broken health. He sat in the ashes of his broken relationships. But there in that place he found that God was able to restore. And that what God restores, he restores well. So let me give you some advice. If you, ever, if you ever lose a house, the next house, get one with at least one more square foot than the last one. So you can tell the devil, see devil, I got more. But you know the Bible tells us he'll give you double for your trouble. The devil may have brought affliction into your life, but God will give you double for your trouble. Am I talking to the right church this morning? Is there anybody in here that's got an expectation that I am on the up, that God is doing something in my life, and it's going to be a good thing? Hallelujah. 
When my father died, I looked at my brothers, and, you know, we had lost our mom a year before. I said, when this is all over, the devil's going to wish he had never messed with us. Come on, Kingsway. I said, the devil's going to wish he had never messed with us. He's going to say, I should have left them alone. I should have left that guy by himself. Because look at, the, look at the rampage he's on for the glory of God. Come on, somebody. You and I have a God on our side who is able to turn beauty out of ashes. Glory be to God. He gives the oil of gladness. Instead of mourning. You know that oil in the Bible. It, it was used for several things. One of course was for illumination. The oil was, was used to bring light to a house. The oil is also used of course as a lubricant. It makes machines move. What happens to your car if you don't get any oil? You're going to lock it up. A lot of people in church, not this church, but some churches, they're locked up. Maybe in here too. They're spiritually locked up. The machine can't move. They can't worship God. They can't say amen. They can't read their Bible. They're locked up. Their inner man is spiritually dry. They're like the tin man. They just need somebody to come around and give them a little bit of a, a, a little bit of lubricant. But see, the oil of the Spirit comes to loosen up those things in your life that have been locked up. When you have been anointed by the Spirit of God, He gives you praise. He gives you joy. He gives you gladness. He gives you a shout. You're able to raise your hands and thank God. I know some of you can't do that just yet because you're kind of you're locked up this morning. But if you'll just open your heart. God will come in and pour in the oil of the Spirit. He'll pour in the oil of the Spirit. Come on, if you need that oil, just raise your hands and, and praise God for a little bit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, open your mouth and just bless the name of the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Oh, the old song said, he poured in the oil and the wine the kind that restores my soul he found me bleeding and dying on the Jericho road but he poured in the oil and the wine the world came and what the world offered was like gravel to the spirit of man but then Jesus came I said Jesus came and he poured in the oil of the spirit he poured in the anointing of the almighty God hallelujah blessed be God forever The oil of gladness instead of mourning. He comes to make things easy. That's what the anointing does. When you have a new change of oil, it's like your car goes easy. When you get the oil in you, it makes doing God's work easy. If you ever try to preach a sermon without the anointing, it'll be like preaching while drowning. Try it. But when the oil is on you, it's easy. 
I said, when the oil is on you, it's easy. You see, so, so don't get into a fight unless you're anointed. Don't get into a debate unless you're anointed. Don't go pick a fight with the devil unless you've got the oil on you. Because when the oil is on you, he make, God makes it easy to fight the devil. He gives you authority. He gives you power. He gives you strength. He gives you his word. Don't go into a negotiation without the oil. If you're going in to negotiate something, you say, Lord, I need the oil of the Spirit. I need you to give me the right word for the right season. Come on, somebody. I'm not talking about a myth or a legend. I'm talking about the present work of the Spirit of God. He pours in that oil, and it makes it easy to do the will of God. Are you struggling to do the will of God? Are you struggling to do the will of God? And you, you can't find the, the inner strength to do the things you once loved to do for God. You used to serve Him with ease. You jumped out of bed. It's Sunday morning. I've got to get to church. But you got locked up. No oil. No anointing. Circumstances brought difficulty and stress into your life. And this morning, the Spirit of God says to you, it's time for an oil change. It's time to let me pour in to your inner man what your outer man can't give you. You see, because when my inner man has the anointing of the Spirit, my outer man can say no to food and he can say no to alcohol. And he can say no to illicit sex. Come on, somebody. He can say no to drugs. He can say no to dishonest gain. When I have the oil of the Spirit flowing through me, it's easy to walk this Christian life. I've got to give you one more because some of you are in this condition. He said that he came to give you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. You know that word heaviness, we can imagine it in our English word. Heavy is like, like having a big burden. Being under the weight of a great burden. Maybe this morning you came in with this spirit of heaviness. I want you to imagine that it's kind of like this, this big husky demon hanging on your back. It's keeping you down. And the word that the Old Testament uses is, is literally a word that implies that the wick of a candle... Is about to be extinguished. Listen, you know how when the, 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 if I can illustrate it for you, the candle has been blown out and the wick stays hot red for a second. And then it's gone. There's some of you, that's your spiritual life. The last thing is that little spark of fire in the wick. And all it takes for the devil to come along and Put you out. If you don't get revival this morning, some of you won't be in church in a year. You're just that close to being done. A spirit of heaviness. That, that just about to be extinguished. But he says, I'm going to give you a garment of praise. Instead of the spirit 
of heaviness. What does that mean? A garment is something you have to put on. When you feel yourself at that last place, that place of being extinguished in your spiritual life, what's the remedy, Pastor? The remedy is to start praising God. You have to put on the garment of praise. It's an act of our will. You see, it's an act of your will. God will not make you praise. That's an act of our will. We have to come in and put on the garment of praise. And put on that garment daily. And often it just requires us to do this little thing that I, I like to teach you guys to do. I say, just raise your hand. Why do we raise our hands? Because when we raise our hands, we're telling our outer man, you're not in control right now. Your outer man don't want to do this. Unless he's being pursued by the cops, he don't want to do that. So when you raise your hand, you're telling your outer man, you're not in control right now. And then I tell you now, open your mouth and begin to fill it with praise. Why? Because now your spirit man is beginning to express what needs to be expressed. And you see, it's very hard to do that when you're quiet. The outer man gets into place. Often a change of posture is good. That's why I'll call you to the altar. Because right there where you're sitting so many times, your outer man says, I'm safe. He can't see me here. I, I'm out of touch. But when you come into this altar, you're telling your outer man, get in line, buddy. God is going to do something in our life today. Come on, you got to show your outer man who's boss. I said, you got to show your flesh who's boss. The psalmist said, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. You know what he's doing? He's telling his outer man, get in the game. We're going to fight for this. We're going to worship God until revival comes, until renewal comes. A garland instead of ashes. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. You put on that mantle of praise because the Bible said that God inhabits the praises of his people. It's easy to praise him when everything's going good. Christmas morning when you're opening packages you're going to be praising God. Thank you Jesus. I was praying for that. I needed another tie. You know all that good stuff. But then there come moments where there aren't any packages to open. There aren't any, even any tamales left. And you are down to having to get your inner man engaged with God. You get to moments in life where there's nothing in circumstances to motivate you to, pr to, praise, to praise God. There's nothing around you that will motivate you to praise God. That's when your inner man says, I've got to praise God because if I want things to change in the natural, something has got to change in the spiritual. Something's got to shift in me. Put on the garment. He says, when you do that, I'm going to make you stable. I'm going to make you like an oak tree that cannot be moved by a storm. I'm going to make you the planting of the Lord. Right where you are, just stand on your feet.
Raise your hands if you would all over this room. Fill your mouth with praise. Come on, shift the atmosphere in your inner man. I don't, I'm not talking about whether you feel it or don't feel it, whether you're feeling like it or not. I'm not talking about whether you think it's a good idea. I'm talking about let your spirit man go for God today. Come on, all over this room. Just start praising Him. Start thanking Him. If you can pray in the Spirit, just begin to pray in the Spirit. You've been locked up, but today He's going to pour in oil. He's going to pour in an anointing. Come on, where's the voice of the church? Where's the voice of the church? Hallelujah. 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 